What's up, guys? Welcome to a new episode. Like always, I'm here. Mary is here. Strahinja is here. And Sky is finally back. So long time. Today we've got Deacon Joseph. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm uh, Deacon Joseph, Frangipani. Um, I serve at the Antiochian uh, Church here in Ellensburg, Washington, in the United States. I'm serving as a deacon for a number of years here. Uh, Hello. Date on the West Coast house of, of young people, uh, 20 something year olds uh, live with us on our on our farm where uh, I guide them um, with sorry. teachings. You were lagging for like five, six seconds and then the audio picked up again. Um, it picked up when you said a house. You were talking yeah. about the Holy Cross house. Oh, we have the Holy Cross house here with uh with twenty something year olds who live with us and uh, guiding them deeper into the life of the church and community. How's that so far? That's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, he lagged again. Let's wait a second for him to be back. We're the. Um, but I'll share. I'll share more later. <laughs> oh boy. No worries. So for today's topic, we have uh, Eastern religions. Uh, Sky, what do you know about Eastern religions? What's, what would come to your mind at first? First thing to come to my mind would be like Taoism, uh, Shinto, um, Buddhism, well, the different variants of Buddhism. Um, there's like this uh, festival like it's put on every year and it's technically by a religious group on like feng shui or something they're like a religious group i think and so like those when i think eastern religions i think those kind of that that area and confucianism those are the only things that i can really name hmm. sounds and, very confusing that one maybe that was a bad joke by me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then i see uh deacon joseph joined on his phone i'm guessing yeah i'm gonna try that i think i might have less lag okay. on that hey yeah it's a bit more smoother there we go yeah yeah it's much better perfect good <laughs> so did you hear a bit of sky's uh, uh explanation of eastern religions Yes, yes. It, it wasn't much of an explanation. It was only which ones I know. Mentioning, <laughs> <laughs> I could barely, I, I could barely tell you about. Like, the most one that I could probably tell you about is probably Buddhism, but that's about it. That's all I know, mm -hmm. like the extent. And maybe Conf Confucianism, which is like, mm -hmm. it's like more of like a philosophy, I guess, that morphed into a religion or something. So yeah. How would you explain Buddhism, Sky? I would explain Buddhism in basically a purely, like, I guess, historical fashion from what I know of how it started. It was started by this guy, I believe he was from India. It was like this prince that I guess decided to sit under a tree until he found the meaning of life or something. And then it just spread from that. That's the extent of my Buddhism. And that it has, I believe, what's it called? Uh, it's like a Four Noble Truths or something. Is that like their thing? I think it's like that, like the noble, they call it the noble truths. 
and yes, that's, that's pretty much my extent of that. So <laughs> let's hear from Deacon Joseph. How was his slight introduction into Eastern religions? Um, well, I'm getting a picture of what you know, um, right? Uh, my um, my experience in Buddhism. Um, I don't know how many are familiar with with my story, but but having practiced Buddhism for ten years and uh, ten eleven years, and that was mostly Tibetan Buddhism. Right? There's lot lots of schools underneath the umbrella of Buddhism and obviously under the umbrella of Hinduism as well. And I, I practiced Hinduism for about two, two years, but had studied it while I was, while I was a Buddhist um, on my journey out of Roman Catholicism. But it's, it, it certainly can be intimidating for a lot of people. The more, like the deeper you go into it, because what we're receiving here, at least here in the West, um, at least when I was looking into it, it was like a pop culture type stuff. So you go you go to the uh, the grocery store and they have the prayer flags and and the um, you go to like a Tibetan freedom concert somewhere. Um, you know, you listen to a bunch of music and do a bunch of drugs and you think you're helping the Tibetans. Uh, but but it's a lot different than that. I mean, there's, all, there's a tremendous amount of depth and rigor that comes to um, clearing the mind and um and not only clearing the mind but searching for something that's outside the grossly material realm which was what was extremely attractive to me uh growing up in the culture that we well i don't even feel like i grew up in the culture that we live in now i don't think any of us did because it's kind of new but the last culture that that i grew up in um there was no doubt that we were all thirsty for something and, and those Eastern religions um, speak to that. I see. Um, I like how you mentioned there was like this mainstream popularity of that. Because I remember growing up, like in the very early 2000s, as a child when I watched TV or something else, uh, Buddhism and... Uh, different kinds of that like tibetan buddhism was very popular in movies and tv shows and i remember as a kid it always looked like cool oh those guys they all know kung fu so when, so that was my earliest memory about those things and still kind of a bit i associate those things with each other well there's been a lot of stuff coming out here lately with with the dialogue if anyone's been been uh, mm -hmm. Keeping keeping abreast of some of the, you know, unfortunate um, news that's that's come out with with his interaction with children, let's say, um, and which which is not entirely surprising, but um, certainly, you know, a lot of our exposure, my exposure to Buddhism, was actually at, at a Roman Catholic school in in Kentucky of all places, um, because meditation which we're all familiar with in one way or another and yoga which we've all probably heard of by now are are really recruitment arms um for the new agey stuff and the new agey stuff um is a, is really a means of of bringing our senses and our guard down as orthodox christians 
and um, and playing into the imaginative faculty, which is a large part of what meditation and yoga play into. Mm-hmm. So there's some hidden dangers there. Exactly. There are a lot of dangers in that. Uh, for example, Strahinya, do you know what uh, a danger is there with uh, yoga, for example? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I don't see the point of like doing yoga if you can just stretch just by stretching. You know, you don't need to. The, the thing with yoga positions is that they often imitate, uh, uh, you know, Eastern religious and Eastern spiritual symbols. Like uh, I'm, I'm not really knowledgeable in that, but I guess that the uh, the downward dog position is supposed to pay homage or respect to a certain deity, and as well as you know some other. Uh, positions like that and the danger with that is like you know losing your faith and starting to think that you have discovered something new something cooler in you know eastern spirituality and it not even being actual eastern spirituality it being like some watered down you know like new agey stuff as as you know father said here so i mean yeah that's i think that's the main danger with uh, meditation apart from the spiritual danger is if you go into like uh esoterical stuff that's not pleasing to god always there is an exposure there to you know att- attract something evil towards yourself but uh apart from that also like just diluting your religion and getting into you know like some eastern mambo jumbo basically which a lot of people market used to market used to like uh, i'm from belgrade and i know that when uh in the early 2090s it was still present this kind of uh it was like an Indian inspired cult and they had like rock bands that were doing the music for that kind of thing. And people could go there and, and, you know, get sucked into that, start giving money to that. It's, it was like kind of a sect actually, you know, that detracted a lot of people who wasted a lot of time and, you know, did stupid things there. So basically, I mean, I think that's uh, like uh, the gateway drug of getting into those things. If you go like, Head first, I guess, into a lot of these yoga classes, especially the American ones. They they are very much into this kind of new age. Well, there's no accident that here in America during the 1960s <clears throat> there was a uh, a revolution um, that really swept like wildfire. Um, that was instigated by a certain program. I don't know how free we are to talk here. Um, but there, <laughs> but there was a, uh, a program here in America that was doing LSD tests, um, on, on the population and, um, and among those people that were enlisted by the major universities in the military to engage in those LSD tests. Um, one of those was na- a man named Richard Albert and Richard Albert and his friend, Timothy Leary, um, kickstarted those psychedelic experiments and then were paid to go and spread LSD through America. And one of them went through the political um, realm for revolution and the other one it went in the spiritual realm. And Richard Albert went to India to go become a, a like a Swami or a guru. And he met Neem Karoli Baba, who's a, a guru in, in a hardwar um where i i went to his tomb in india and, and met one of those guys there um uh krishna das and um and anyway um when richard albert came back and changed his name and wrote a book called be here now 
that started the new agey hippie do acid and go find your guru movement in America. I mean that like he was the guy, and this was the this was in the seventies, and it was his book that got me into Hinduism uh, a number of years ago. I mean more than a number of years ago now. Um, so we can see this this uh, this pattern um, starting around the nineteen sixties. It was certainly a lot earlier than that. You can actually trace it to Ralph Waldo Emerson and Walt Whitman and the transcendentalists who were had read copies of the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads. Um, but it didn't really hit mainstream, not the way that it did um, until LSD and psychedelics came. And as we, as some of us may know, the psychedelics open us up to the astral world and the astral world being the intermediary world between this one and heaven. It's still created, right? It's still a created realm, but it is a spiritual realm. And that's the realm that's, that's given over to demons. And so there is a connection between the psychedelic use and getting and, and sort of being exposed to that astral world and meditation and yoga that does the, that does something similar. And that, that was part of my like gateway and into that. Hmm. Um also for the viewers, uh Deacon Joseph uh put in aspect a very interesting topic with the projects that they had in the sixties. I recommend to everybody look a bit into it. There are some very disturbing stories with that. Not only this one, but also some other people that got those uh, that were on those lists with the LSD and that stuff. And one of them just died story. in our country. Hmm? One of one of them just died a few days ago. I'll yeah, his, his, name, his name was his name was Ted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he really hated airline companies in the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, Charles was one as, one as well, right? If I remember correctly, it's a couple of years since I looked into that project. That Who's that? Uh, the other one in, who was in Hollywood killing people, the Charles Manson guy. Manson guy, Charles. the guy that kids put yeah. on t-shirts. Oh yeah, no, Charles Manson. I mean, these were so the MK Ultra thing was like a you know a Jeffrey Epstein scandal of its day, you know, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean the Beatles and the Grateful Dead they were playing shows distributing the acid for Ken Kesey and all all those guys. I mean, not not to go down a rabbit hole, but it, but it is connected to Eastern religions because that that was the. Um, that was one of the catalysts for this sort of new world, you know, that the religion was going to be um, one in which it, your thoughts and your experiences are reality, right? That that That's what some of this came about. And so if they can control your mind, right, then they can control your personhood as, as far as they see. Right. And, and Hinduism and yoga, I've seen, I've seen some uh, young man here in Washington walk into the room, had never met him before and knew immediately what demon was attached to him. And he turned around and he was introduced as a, uh, a Hare Krishna. And I was like, oh, I, it wasn't just a patchouli. I mean, I could tell, I, I could tell yeah. um, that there was some cloud over him. And, um, and, and initially it's all sparkles yeah. and gold. And then you see the Jesus prayer a little bit. Um, and it's like the smoke clears. 
Mm. Like they put on spiritual fireworks, as you say. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Also, a lot of this kind of hippie movements are fundamentally anti-Christian, as far as I know. Like every time I met a person who was interested in that, they were either not openly anti-Christian, but associated to like an anti-Christian author. Like, for example, a very famous author who is like exploring psychedelics and Hunter Thompson. I think everybody saw that movie, Fear and Loitering in Las Vegas, and he's a writer and people, intellectuals often like really appreciate his books. But he in reality was connected to like a a character named Antoine LaVey, who is a a very fervent anti-Christian from Los Angeles and also a drug user and advocate of, you know, like doing... LSD and, and and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, basically that those people are directly opposed to the church and do only harm to us. They, they do no good you know, for for us and our community. I mean, there is no <laughs> why 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 did the American government sponsor this? To, you know, poison the youth. They they chose precisely something that would be destructive to you know like our traditional values and what we want to get out of life, basically. Mm-hmm. I I just wanted to ask one question on um, could you speak a little bit about yoga and how that plays into a lot of things Deacon Joseph yeah I mean most most people feel that yoga is uh, you know gymnastics and they're going to go to their little like hot yoga pad somewhere in you know downtown LA or Berlin or where you know uh Milan or where Seattle, um, but yoga is an um, you know an arm of Hinduism. It was the missionary arm of Hinduism. It was seen that way for a long time since at least the World's Fair in Chicago, I think, by Swami Vivekananda. And yoga is something there. There's lots of different types of yoga, right? There's bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga was was one school uh that i was very much involved in that's like devotional yoga so that type you're you're being um more it's more about emphasizing the relationship between you and one of these hindu gods or demons Uh, but there's other types of yoga there's like the intellectual type there is the type that's more popular right now with like the physical yoga where you're just using your body um to uh draw up what they call kundalini um and kundalini is the um sort of the the latent uh the latent created energy and we have to be very careful about this when we speak about it's created energy um that rests they say at the base of the spine that just so happens to um correlate to the serpent in the garden of eden and what you're trying to do is you're trying to uncoil the serpent and raise it through your different spiritual pressure points um, until it opens up or unclogs all of these different like va- like spiritual valves inside you. And then when your crown chakra is opened after performing all these different physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional feats, then either you realize that you are God or everything else is God because there's that quote-unquote divine spark. There's a lot of Platonism here, um, or seemingly. Um, but that that kundalini energy is something that I would like to point out is very similar to the created energy. Again, it's not uncreated. 
And we want to unify ourselves with the uncreated energy, which comes through the divine Eucharist, through the ascetical life of the church, which does not mean putting yourself into the into the lotus position, um, you know, or um, doing, yeah, downward dog for 35 hours a week or something. Uh, so the, the yoga, which means yoke, right? It means yoke. So you're harnessing yourself to something. And when you're harnessing yourself to some other created entity or other created energy, that should be sending off all sorts of flags for us Orthodox Christians and others as well, of course. Um, and so getting ourselves, um, bringing that Kundalini up within us, knowingly or unknowingly, you might be doing all these postures and maybe thinking, well, I'm not intentionally getting high, right? Um, because it looks like a cigar, but you don't know what's wrapped up inside it. And so you start to you start to do that type of stuff. And before you know it, you start moving um, and being incited with different passions to a greater and greater degree. And then, you know, you, you suddenly are finding yourself visited sometimes, God forbid, by some of these entities like I was. Um, or mentally, you start moving in a, in a place that's very unorthodox and very, um, very concerning, which we can go into if we want to about how philosophically it's incompatible. It's, it's Pelagianism, essentially, if you're familiar with that heresy. So, um, I just had a qu another quick question. Those uh, spiritual pressure points that you said are those all, are those the things they refer to as chakras? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's that's. That's uh, all right, Milos. Those are my questions finished. <laughs> all right. So, what we can take from the topic of yoga, we all, as Orthodox Christian, we have to stay away from it first because the poses are uh, imitating uh, paganist, pa uh, pagan goddesses, deities, and it can attract demons. And also with those other practices that uh, Deacon Joseph has explained to us, it can put us in a, a trance-like state to even get more contact with demons and mm -hmm. and God forbid the god of the god of yoga is Shiva. I mean, that's mm -hmm. no no one's going to argue that in the world of of Hinduism. They may argue who or what that means. But you go, go to India and go to the capital of yoga, it's basically where it was cultivated, deepened, and maybe invented in Rishikesh. And that's where I studied it. And and there's statues, pagan statues to God with, with offerings of all kinds of things over there um, to, to that, right? Mm. And um, very dangerous. Exactly. Maybe those people in the West who try to practice yoga they don't admit that but in india it's very clear that it's a, a pagan a pagan practice and a big heresy yes. to us so non no orthodox christian should do those demonic uh, poses we always should be aware of those dangers you go ahead you want to say something i'm sorry you, you can stretch for any sport like football or whatever you know in a completely different way like you know doesn't stop you from like living your life just don't do yoga like I, I really don't see the point of of yoga really and many people say like oh you know i'm 
I need, I need yoga because I have no other way to exercise, but then there's so many other ways to exercise and accomplish all those things that they're trying to accomplish with yoga. That like, I feel like just normal stretching that I used to do after, you know, sport practice for years is now being, you know, less almost forgotten by like gen pop in favor of the downward dog for some reason. I don't know, but a lot of like, a lot of people, more and more people here in the West are like going in those yoga studios and doing that instead of like they could accomplish the same thing with like just normal stretches you can look them up online like whatever muscle you want to stretch chances are there is a no yoga way of doing that you know i mean i think the same as saying we're gonna go we're gonna go to um a room and there's icons and there's crosses and we're going to follow the lenten fast and then we're all going to do prostrations. But don't worry, guys. There's nothing spiritual about this. This is just <laughs> totally, like, not orthodox. This is just something we came up with, right? I mean, it'd be ridiculous, right? It's like, and the, and the trappings are are as obvious in Hinduism and and yoga as as that would be for us to walk into a and into a chapel and see that and and right. And saying, oh yeah, well, I studied it. Where do you where do you learn prostrations? Oh, Mount Athos. But don't worry, there's nothing spiritual here. Right? <laughs> I mean, to me, after being around it for so long, it's just it's so obvious that that you know somebody is saying something, they're saying they're calling it that which it's not, which which these days is unfortunately um far too common. Hmm. So what were the um, dangers that you encountered as you've uh totally got more and more into it like i know you mentioned meditation and yoga like what kind of demons did that bring about for you and like how did that how did you snap out of it essentially how did you find christ again well because i know you were first, roman catholic before yeah i was roman catholic for about 16 years and then um a, a high school professor got me into self-hypnosis which is another thing we haven't talked about but self-hypnosis and mm-hmm. um, and that got me interested in meditation because I looked up self-hypnosis in the my grandparents' Encyclopedia Britannica set um, and it said, see also meditation. And so I started studying meditation more and more um, and that that brought me, that opened up some, some doors into the astral world where I began to see these different sort of three-dimensional dark beings. Um, that were identified by these other uh, Rinpoches and Swamis once I got to India. So it wasn't like, oh, this is just Deacon Joseph going going crazy. This was having it verified over and over and over again in these different co- Sufi communes, um, Kundalini temples in Portland, Oregon, in Rishikesh and Hardwar in New Delhi. And the, some of the dangers, I remember the first time that um that i sat down I, I could sit down and put my hand on somebody's chest and they would put their hand on mine and we would close our eyes and by chanting um these sanskrit syllables it became like a um like right like the, a name has power and meaning when we know that more than anyone as orthodox christians we take on a saint's name we say the lord's name saint paul says i'd rather speak five words um, right in my mind and 5,000 with my mouth. He's speaking with the Jesus prayer. And so words have meaning and the name of the Lord has meaning, but so do the names of like the dark ones. And 
by bringing forth those names, uh, they're like calling cards. A mantra is a calling card where you repeat a Sanskrit syllable and it opens up a door. And I remember um, after being involved in some very, very occult activities in Willamette Valley in Oregon, um, I uttered one of these key words, so to speak. And, um, and immediately, and I was stone sober, um, I saw like the Om symbol, the sacred syllable or the sacred symbol within Hinduism. And it started to open up these different, like it opened up this door and this vision of mine. And I saw these mountains and I saw Shiva. And I didn't know any of this by, at the time, by the way. I didn't know any, I didn't know who Shiva looked like, but it came to me when I spoke the name. And that that was actually um, the catalyst for me going to India because I looked up the symbol and I said, well, what what is this? And I looked it up and there it was in the book. And I said, who is this? And I and I and I took the picture and I and I sat the other one next to it. And I said, that's that picture. That's Shiva. And I said, well, th this is obvious. This is calling me to go pursue him. So the. The, you know, and then his, the counterpart, Kali, right, the goddess of death, and and meeting people who were devoted to her. Used to, before I knew it, I was in this, I was in a uh, uh, quicksand. And I found myself in this quicksand. And it was very, very hard to get out. But once I had an outdoor, uh, outdoor, out of body, same thing, um, experience. Um, because I was into astral projection, I was into mandalas, I was into um, animal sacrifice, forgive me, and tarot readings and all sorts of different things. Um, the um, that that sort of life came to an end for me when I had this experience in a in a, a yoga temple. And I, and I was standing outside of my body and I could look at my body and I knew that I had free will. Like I believe in free will. I'm not a Calvinist. And so I looked at, I looked at my body and I could think I could speak, I could hear, I could see. And so I knew I wasn't just consciousness. I knew I had individuality. So that told me Buddhism was like, is done because there's the, everything is an illusion for the most part in Buddhism. And so there's no place for human relationship with it when there's no self, when there's no soul, right? I mean, there's nothing, right? There's no possibility for love. So, and there's no God. So I could stand outside my body and know that I was me and not, and not someone else. So Buddhism went away, but then I also realized something else. And what I realized was that these gods that I had been worshiping and I was worshiping them. And I knew that these were created beings that Shiva and Krishna and Hanuman and all these others um, were like, they were not God himself. And so if I had free will and I could be outside my body um, and I could go to Mary and I could um, trick her to, reject love or trick her into thinking something else is love when it's not right that would be evil so suddenly there's this idea of like oh good and evil actually exist i can compel someone to love or i can trick them against love that's good and evil 
from my mind at that point. And if I could be outside my body, these things can be outside their body. And so now I was wondering, well, I don't know if they're good or evil. I don't know if they're really bringing me towards what's good and what's not. And so I, I realized I needed to step away for a moment. Um, and when I went up into the Himalayan mountains to the source of the Ganges River, and I and I took a mantra that I had had, and it's like I can't be Hindu, I can't be Hindu, I can't be um, Tibetan Buddhist or Zen Buddhist. Um, I sat inside the cave on my 28th birthday and just repeated this mantra, and t and I was crying because I'd left my girlfriend in my car. I was on the other side of the world. I didn't speak the language. And I realized what a do I, mean, I still am a doofus. I realized like what a real doofus I am and how much pain I've incurred in people by doing all of this for 12 years, being involved in this stuff. And some of it, I, I, you know, I don't want to talk about none of the stuff that, you know, we, I don't, we're exploring just because of how dangerous that life can be by sucking you away from Christ and how quickly it can happen. And long story short, forgive me, um, my mantra to Shiva became the Jesus prayer. And I and suddenly it, it went from that mantra, which I, I have not repeated since that moment uh, when I was 28 years old, um, to Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as soon as I started saying, Lord Jesus Christ, and I got a mercy on me, a sinner, that is when I met Christ. And when I met Christ in the cave and like saw him, and knew he was my father and my maker, and he was both a man and God, that he had existed at one point in history and now exists within all history, in other words, eternity, then I knew then I knew it was Christian. But now it's not like once saved, always saved. Now I knew I had to go find a community. And I had to get the heck out of here and and fly out of fly out of New Delhi and go back home, which I didn't know what home was yet, but I knew. I, I knew home wasn't in India and I knew it wasn't with Shiva or Krishna anymore. I knew, I knew it was with Christ, but that was, that was a journey that, that would take me, you know, it's going to take me the rest of my life to, I, for all of us because Christ is eternal and we're called to eternally grow in Christ. So, you know, our conversion is, goes on forever, but it's dynamic. And, um, and thank God he lifts us out of sin. Exactly. Glory to God. Um, I have one question. It's more an assumption because you've met many uh, Buddhists, uh, people who became Buddhists or uh, Hindus and everything. Um, my theory was always why people get attracted to those religions is because they realize they have without Christ this emptiness in them. And they try to to search it somewhere very far and very out there because they have this sadness in them. And then they find, then they get tricked by those more of a, of the, of those the demonic beliefs. And I think a lot of times it's uh, often to stand more out. Would my assumption be somewhat correct? Why so many people, at least in the mid 2000s, got attracted to it? They're hungry. 
Yeah, I mean, they're they're absolutely we're we're living in a post-Christian mm -hmm. world right now, or yeah. culture, and um, and so when you start, I mean, the 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 seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, as we saw a return to this this new agey um, pre-last. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a result of materialism. That's the that's the result of buying mm -hmm. so much stuff and not being not really being satisfied. The soul's not satisfied. And so it wants it's so thirsty after being in the desert that it either wants to go back to the slavery of Pharaoh or it's going to go jump in a, in a in a river and not know that underneath the river there's all these crocodiles. And you're just say, well, it's, it's at least I'm jumping out of the furnace. I'll do I'll do anything to alleviate the sin that I, that I don't even call sin. I don't know. If, I don't know. Like I don't have those terminologies. This person might say, uh, but their mind is on fire, and so they're going to go to fentanyl. They're going. They're going to go to pornography. They're going to go to Eastern religions. They're going to find anything that gives them an identity, and a place that that is seemingly elevating them up from the suffering that that they are wanting to escape from but hell is trying to satisfy an itch that will eternally be there and no matter how many times you try and scratch it it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and so um you know the the atheism that this like sort of new atheism that we found in in sort of, you know post Christian world right now is just a means to an end. Eastern Europe experienced this, you know, it's still mind-boggling to, to, to really fathom. You can't. How many Christians were martyred during that period of atheism? But let's be real about it, that the atheism is only a means to an end. You, you empty the cup and you fill it up with satanic energy. And that that that's where you that's where you get the um, transhumanism, um, transgenderism, the um, Kundalini. These are all these are all the same. This is all coming from like the same uh, battery or same school of 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 evil. Um, no, no doubt. Um, and we can go into that, too. Now or another time on, on how, how that. There's there's no personhood, and you're just your body is just another reincarnated body from another one. Then maybe you know maybe you really are a woman, or maybe you really you know what I mean. And you're getting into like all of this madness, and you're divided against yourself. Mm -hmm. And right, who wants to be called they, they them, right? It's legion, <laughs> right? Legion, the 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 right like the like the demon of pride. And so these again, these 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 are connected, and it's and it's it's very unfortunate to see because we know many people in our own lives, God forbid, even though some of in our parishes that are so thirsty and hungry for the love of God, but instead we we tend to identify ourselves with our sins and those that want to enable us in our sins, and we can become so defensive because we think we are that, but we're not. By the way, I love that on analogy with the first that reminded me of uh, uh, a thing a few years a friend of mine said. He studied um, theology in Athens and he once said to me, 
you know, I always need my liturgy because after a week, my soul always gets thirsty and it needs its water from the liturgy to drink. <laughs> yeah. So that reminded me of that moment because it was, I don't know, that sentence made like a lot of sense for me. Always yeah. sense. Well, we it have just, like this. Oh, sorry. sorry. And it just uh, put it 100% in perspective how why we need our liturgy why we need our church because that's the only thing that can bring out the fullness in our heart and the only thing where we can get <clears throat> our peace is with god only thing we can uh and uh, ever hope to to have Sorry, go we on. This, <laughs> <laughs> we have this like spiritual hole, right? Where um that on like that's infinite that only God can fill, right? And people try to fill that with anything really uh, other than God. So like sex, drugs, um, other weird spirituality like yoga and uh, whatever that makes them their own God, really. They worship and um that you know as spiritual water from you know life-giving water from christ uh, christ himself with the eucharist the holy water the blessed bread all these things right hello mary froze Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry, my internet went out. <laughs> All um, right, you're back. And yeah, so like I was saying, we need to fill it with all these things, but it seems like um, a lot of Far Eastern um, religions twist our idea of like needing, you know, God that, you know, to fill us and and just something different like you don't need this you need that right like you need to meditate you need to like i saw someone basically say that buddhism is essentially like believing like you become a god or whatever and then you kind of stop existing is that right well the the attraction of buddhism for many people can be um a sense of disassociation Right. Because mm -hmm. because you are taking yourself out of the equation and and St. Sophroni yeah. of blessed memory who practiced yoga and studied Far Eastern religions for a, for a very long time um, makes a, a wonderful comment in his book on St. Silouan that, um, you know, yoga and transcendental meditation is transcendental uh, transcendental suicide. Because the goal is you're trying to kill the self, and when you're trying mm -hmm. to kill the when you're trying to kill the soul that does that can't die, and you keep trying to do that, you you end up incurring all manner of um, psychological problems and and spiritual problems, of course, as well, because you can't you can't kill the soul, um, as we like know. It's trying to kill the image and likeness of God within us. Like destroy it. Yes. Almost wish it out of existence. Yeah. 
that's what it seems like that's what I was kind of yeah you basically finished my point it tried to like completely skew the like our idea of what we need into something so completely off that it just you know completely well, a lot of people us. have taken a lot of people have wanted to take drugs to expand their consciousness and go you know mm -hmm. be outside themselves and find another world right well then meditation and yoga and eastern religions took that form or maybe it was vice versa but you have those two and then what do you have coming around the corner right now you have this transhumanism the transgenderism is just a means to an end um the transhumanism is now well the meditation and the yoga that's not fast enough that's not scientific enough the drugs not fast enough not clean enough we'll get you technology we'll get you the vr goggles we'll get you the implants we'll get you the you know all the rest of it science will be your best friend and so they're trying to take what the drugs and the meditation and the yoga did and they're trying to sort of brand it and electrify it and 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 tempt us with all of these sort of like icarus right and yeah. if you melt your wings getting drawing too close to, to the sun trying to fly too high or the tower of babel yeah. right we see it over and over and over again but that's they're all the same i mean it's all the same true often history repeats itself unfortunately no like you said it's about those new trends and also making we in this very big materialistic world the number one worship money the quick money that's the most important topic nowadays unfortunately for the young people it's like they're turning their you know, the end goal with mm. all of this is turning the image and likeness of God within us all into the image and likeness of Satan. Right? Like, don't be your, don't be like who God calls you to be, you know, someone who submits their will to God, but submits like their, their will to sin, I guess. Like, and you know, become your own image, become trans, become, you know, identify as gay, identify as this thing, right? And make it your whole personality, make this your whole personality, make that, that's your image and likeness now, right? Yeah, a big part it's of that is, I think, if, because if, the long plan, that's, that's again, with the 50s and 60s, or it started, that's also a part where they, they use that to destroy even furthermore the traditional family. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm back with 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 all of that. So far, how they destroyed the traditional family, they can further push a materialistic worldview. There's a book that that should be read by any young person right now. It's the Saint of the Prisons, and that that book really tells you what happened and what's happening now. And gives you a wonderful, warm, spiritual like blueprint on how the Jesus prayer and and spiritual community is the antidote to this, um, you know, like the snake's venom that's 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 threatening to get into all of us. Mary said something interesting just a moment ago about 
you know, they want you to decrease so that they can increase in you. Well, if you're full, right, if your cup is full of Christ, then there's no place for them to get inside you. So it's really, that's really crucial is that if we spend our time and we put our, our hearts are full of Christ, our minds are full of Christ, our homes are full of Christ and all good things and all good things, then there's going to be less. It's going to be air. It's going to be spiritually airtight and we'll be okay. Uh, can um, I have a quick question? I would have one last question. Um, because we left off at the story with uh, in the cave when you did the Jesus prayer and you saw Christ, and then you went to New Delhi and uh, tried to go back to the U.S. or wherever home is. I think you said it like that. How did you find exactly after that the Orthodox Church? A friend of mine who I'd been on the occult path with while I was in India she had by god's providence i mean there's no clear image in my mind of my his, of my life before orthodoxy that i could see the lord's providence in this and that when i am in india and i have my experience of christ in the himalayan mountains um this friend of mine who was just as if not more off the deep end as me in the in that world had hap just so happened to walk through the Whitaker neighborhood in downtown Eugene and walked into a Vesper service. And so she and I had been very, very close for many years. And she heard my story, which was like four or five hours to go into. And she heard my story. And I, she's like, you should come to Eugene. Cause I, I was living in another city at the time when I got back. So long story short, a friend of mine brought me into this Vesper service. And I, when I walked in, and I saw the icons and I saw the candles and I saw the lampadas and I heard the music. I mean, I knew, I knew really, it was really dramatic. I knew I was home and this voice inside of me that was not my voice said, let this be your cave. And now, and that was why, and that was like the church became my cave. And I saw the icon of Christ on the wall. And I said, this is who I saw. Like they get it right. Like they other people, it's not just me. The Lord has revealed Himself to ever like to all Orthodox Christians. He's led he if if Saint He's led Saint Paul. He's led you. He's led me. He's led all of us sinners to Him. And I saw that. And when I again I was visiting when I when I came back home, um, I looked up the nearest Orthodox Church of where I was, and it was Holy Door Mission in the Dalles in Oregon. And, uh, and I sent a little email out, and then I got a response, and I went and visited um, Luke Hartung out there with Uncut Mountain Press, and he uh, and his uh, dear wife of blessed memory, Presbyterian Catherine, loaded me up full of books and icons, <laughs> and I, st I started my, my catechism, um, not only there, but I went down, I flew down to St. Anthony's, had a very, very... Uh, profound encounter with uh, a holy elder down there and um, who taught me many things. And one of the things that this holy errand taught me was that if I wanted to be a monk, it, um, it, what mattered was how I prayed. That's what, that's, that's what makes 
us more in into the Lord's image is by our prayer. I can go. You know, I have a seminary degree. I have all these master's degrees. Like doesn't like those pieces of paper don't matter. Your your theology comes by your contact with God, and your contact with God comes through direct experience. And that direct experience only happens through prayer and participation in the sacraments of the church. And that's what Yerinda Ephraim taught me and many other holy fathers out in this neck of the woods here in America. Um, and that's how I, I gradually came to shed the old way of life. And when I was baptized and chrismated, um, all of those strings that had attached themselves to me and they were attached to me um, were burned off. It was like spider webs being burnt off in fire. And I, and I, I came out of the baptismal tank as all of you have, if, if you were baptized, um, a new man, there's still scars. There's still, right. There's still passions. It's not a magic trick. Um, but now we were just celebrating Pentecost last week and all saints today. Now what we have to apply that medicine. And, and take that medicine and bring it back as, as a sweet offering. Because I, I do want to share before we close, if we're closing, that the one sacrifice that I had been running away from, it's what brought me to India, it's what brought me into Buddhism and Hinduism, was um, I had a broken heart. And I, was, I, was a, I had a, a suffered a broken heart from a very early age. And it, it traumatized me. Um, and sent me spinning in so many different directions. And I thought that I could uh, pretend it wasn't there or I could make the best artwork and it would be cathartic enough for that stuff to leave. And then when I became Orthodox and I saw Christ on the cross and then I saw Christ resurrected at my first Pascha service, not just pretending or not just remembering something that happened historically, but really experiencing Christ's resurrection as, as, as he was resurrected at that moment, because Pascha is eternity. Then I understood that the broken and contrite heart that I have, God will honor that sacrifice, like Psalm 50. And so it was, so this gift, like this was a gift that I had, that you have, that when we have that broken and contrite heart, if we offer that as, as a sacrifice like Abraham, the Lord will come running like the father, right? He'll come running and slay the fatted calf and put the ring on our finger. And we will dine with him and dining with him is partaking of his divine nature, his energies. Well, that was beautiful. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> that was, yes, very good. Um, also, could I ask for it's let's say for the viewers who might be on a similar path like you have been and is maybe watching this video right now um are there any last or like arguments and words or any last message that you want to give them pursue christ <laughs> no argument that no one could convince me that my path was uh was dangerous i i had entities coming through my bedroom i had them standing over me i was haunted by these different demons um i had i had gotten sick from the you know all types of stuff and what happened to me was relationship and it was pursuing that relationship of christ and re re reading um the 
um, way of the pilgrim and going to an Orthodox liturgy or a Vesper service and standing there and just being like, I'm not going to manipulate anyone. I'm not going to, I don't want to force anyone from anything or I'm not going to pull their hand away from it unless they say, help, I'm in a fire and I'll pull them out. But um, by our, by, by our collective prayers on behalf of all and for all. Right. So I would, I would end with, you know, if anyone has any, I have any questions or they have any concerns, um, please reach out to a, uh, a spiritual father, a confessor in, uh, in, in the church who's connected to a uh, holy monastery. Visit a monastery. Um, if you have any questions about what we've talked about um, or about my path, if I, if I can in any way point someone in, in those directions uh, into the church, um, I'm sure uh, my email address can, can be shared. Um, if that, if that's appropriate and I'd be happy to write or, or, um, share otherwise or have another conversation. Um, uh, but really it's a, it's about prayer and, get, and getting one of these. Um, and this is, these are, you see in those old movies and they're, they're putting in those ammunitions and the machine guns and it's like blasting the enemy. <laughs> that's what, that's what this is. And you, and we pray and we don't give up. Yeah, that's probably the strongest weapon you can have. <laughs> man, now every, now every time I get a prayer rope, I'm gonna imagine like I'm on D Day. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love uh, I love uh, uh, Saint Paisios's um, quote on the prayer rope: "The prayer rope is your pistol, and the prayer is your bullets. So use it." <laughs> it's true. No, it really, it really does. It really does. Yeah, I felt oh. it too. It's incredible. All right. Thank you guys for watching. And thank you again, Deacon Joseph, for your time and sharing your knowledge with us. Hopefully we can do in the future another video on this topic where we maybe go even more in depth about a certain subject of those things. And sure. take care, guys. And God bless. Thank you. Thank you, God bless.